Hey, it's Brandon here and I have some big news. Seven Figure Millennials is now beyond curious. I am so excited for this new brand and I would highly encourage you to go check out episode number 140 for all of the juicy details. But as a teaser for episode 140, the central question for Seven Figure Millennials, the original show from the beginning was, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? I spent over 1,000 hours researching this question and published 139 episodes. And after all of that, I have an answer. And I put together that answer in a legit masterclass that weaves together clips from previous guests all to answer that question. So if you wanna hear my answer, the why behind Beyond Curious and the vision moving forward, go check out episode number 140. But you are here listening to this episode, which I know is amazing, but I would just highly recommend you also check out episode number 140 for the full explanation behind the rebrand. All right, here's your episode. Greetings, my friend, and welcome to today's episode of Seven Figure Millennials, where together you and I are choosing to do things differently. You and I are choosing, committing to prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships while we build a business that creates a meaningful impact in the lives of the people that we love, and it generates the wealth for us to design a beautiful life on our terms. And if you are here as a first-time listener or a seasoned listener, I always want to take the time to say how much I appreciate you for being here. You are absolutely what makes this show possible, and I'm just so grateful that you are taking time out of your day today to make yourself better, to expand and grow and learn from the incredible humans that I'm interviewing on the show. Every single week, I do a deep dive into their content so that I can pull out their best stuff to inspire you and give you what you need to create a massive impact in the world, and I am so excited to introduce you to today's legendary leader of impact, John. Livesey. And in this episode, you're going to learn so much, but I want you to look out for three specific things. Number one, why you need to ditch your elevator pitch and replace it with an elevator story. And similar to that, why you should ditch case studies and replace those with case stories. So that's the first thing to look out for. Number two, I need you to look out for how to use the five 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 method to get off the self-esteem roller coaster and what that means and number three the four parts every effective story needs to have and if you are telling stories without this formula you are absolutely missing out so look out for that so who is john john aka the pitch whisperer is a sales keynote speaker where he shows company sales teams how to turn mundane case studies into compelling case stories so that they win more new business. From John's award-winning career at Cond Nast, he shares the lessons he learned that turned sales teams into revenue rock stars. His TEDx talk, Be the Lifeguard of Your Own Life, has over 1 million views. Clients love working with John because of his ongoing support after his talk, which includes implementing the storytelling skills from his best-selling book, Better Selling Through Storytelling, and online course, Revenue Rockstar Mastery. His new book, The Sale is in the Tale, is a business fable set in Austin, Texas, and is about a sales representative whose old ways of selling are not working anymore. The reader accompanies the rep on his journey and learns how to use storytelling and strengthen their soft skills to improve their professional and personal relationships. John is a guest lecturer on 
how to leverage the power of storytelling in sales at multiple universities, including the University of Texas at Austin, Pepperdine Business School, and the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. And his new book is now required reading for the UTLA course on entertainment and media studies. Guys, I am super excited for you to listen to this episode to empower you to tell more effective stories. One of my core values is conscious storytelling. So how do you tell stories that are empowering for yourself and also move people to take action and create a bigger, bigger impact in the world? So with all that said, please enjoy this incredible episode with my new friend, John Livesey. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast. John, my friend, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here. This is going to be so much fun. I already know it. I feel the same way. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, so I thought as a master storyteller, a great place to start would be, of course, with some stories. And so, okay. you know, in, in listening to a bunch of the podcasts that you've been on and your stories inside of your book, there was one that stood out to me. I was like, this would be a great way to kind of show, not tell the magic that <laughs> that you have with your storytelling. And so this is a case study from a client that you worked with, and then we can kind of keep building and maybe reverse engineer kind of what sure. the heck is going on. But one of the stories that really stuck out to me was there was these people that were trying to sell a lot with statistics and they were working with surgeries and talking about mm -hmm. having 30% faster surgeries. And right. you kind of came in and kind of rebuffed it and helped them do so much more with their storytelling. So we'd love for you to kind of maybe share what was yes. what they were doing before, what they were doing after, and kind of that whole experience of working with them. Well, what always makes a good story is the exposition. So you paint the picture. So two years ago, Olympus, the camera company, has a medical division. They make equipment using photograph technology like scopes and things. And um, I was hired as a sales keynote speaker to their kickoff meeting. And in working with their team and prepping for that, they said, you know, we have this piece of equipment that makes surgeries go 30% faster. And it's so logical. We just don't understand why doctors aren't jumping at this more. And I said, because people buy emotionally and then back it up with logic. And I went, oh, so I asked some questions and now this is the story they tell instead of this makes your surgeries go 30% faster. Imagine how happy Dr. Higgins was down at Long Beach Memorial six months ago using our equipment. You could go out to the patient's family in the waiting room an hour earlier than expected and if you've ever waited for anyone you love to come out of surgery, you know every minute feels like an hour. The doctor comes out and says, good news, the scope shows they don't have cancer, they're gonna be fine. And then turned to the rep and said, you know, this is why I became a doctor for moments like this. Now that Olympus rep tells that story to another doctor at another hospital and the magic, Brandon, is that other doctor sees himself in the story so much. He goes, that's why I became a doctor. Mm. I want your equipment too. So Olympus said, oh, that story gives us chills. Not only are we not telling a story, but it never occurred to us to make a patient's family a character in the story. Mm -hmm. So I can break down why that story is so successful, if you'd like. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd love that. But I mean, I, I'll, I'll just pull out just a few things that immediately come to mind. And maybe yeah. these are the things that you were about to say. But I just think it's so cool. 
like you said, most people don't think about storytelling from the perspective of you're placing people as the characters. Like everybody's automatically using their mirror neurons to kind of reenact. And the fact right. that you are, you took a number that that is that very left brain numbers yep. oriented 30% faster, which doesn't mean anything to anyone and yeah. translated that into that universal experience of like, I mean, I'm, I'm immediately picturing in my brain is like my mom had two uh, brain oh. surgeries. And it's just like, that is so ridiculously yeah. painful that time moves like molasses when you're sitting inside yeah. that waiting room and just having that A to Z comparison of before and after. So that stood out to me, but would love for you to, yeah, keep building and show the magic, what you, what you worked on right there. Sure. So first thing I do with a client is I'll say, all right, well, what does 30% faster even mean? Oh, well, the surgeries are usually three hours with this equipment is only two. Okay. So we're saving an hour. Then we do a deep dive. Who cares about this? Well, doctors can make more money and the hospital loves it because they can make more money. I go, oh, okay. I don't really love that as a reason. And then I remembered my own sister having surgery with and my mom and I waiting for her to come out. And I'm like, but God, that would have been great. And so that's where the patient's family, because I had been in the shoes as well. Mm -hmm. So the exposition was, we know the doctor's name, how long ago, where, and the real key here is that the doctor is the hero of the story, not the Olympus rep. And that's mm -hmm. a big mistake people make. They think, oh, I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to be the hero of the story. No, no, no. You're like Yoda in Star Wars or the Sherpa helping somebody climb Mount Everest. Sure. Because the whole goal is to get whoever your client is to see themselves in the story. So if you're selling to a doctor, you want the doctor to be the hero. And so... The problem is the second part of the story. The patient's family is waiting and every minute feels like an hour. And you see how I pulled you into the story by saying, if you've ever waited for someone you love, and even if you haven't, and it obviously resonated with you because you were in that situation, you probably know somebody who had to go through that, or you can imagine how painful that would be. Or you've so seen now, it on TV. <laughs> yes, seen, yes, Grey's Anatomy or whatever. Um, so that... Because in order for the story to resonate, the stakes have to be high. The problem has to be fairly substantial. Making more money versus, not, you know, that's not really that dramatic of a problem to solve. We'd like to make more money. Okay. Um, but helping a patient's family? Yes. Okay. Uh, then there's the solution where the doctor comes out and says, good news. The scope shows they're going to be fine early. But the secret to a really great story is the fourth part, the resolution. And that's telling the story through dialogue so you feel like you're eavesdropping in the doctor says to the rep this is why i became a doctor and that's the aha the story clicking into the purpose and reminding other doctors why they became doctors to have these kind of moments to share good news makes that so compelling because the mm. story needs to be three things it needs to be clear Concise and compelling. So if it's not clear, if you use a bunch of acronyms, you notice there was no acronyms in that story. <laughs> um, you confuse people and they always just don't tell you they're confused. They just go, mm, I don't think so. Um, why does it need to be concise? You want people to be able to remember and repeat it. Because, you know, if they're hearing you and two other people pitch, and you all sound the same with numbers, then they go, I guess we should just go with the cheapest. But if you've told a story that people can remember and repeat in a meeting, sometimes to people who didn't hear all the pitches, they become your brand ambassador. And then finally, the compelling part is it has to tug at our heartstrings. We have to feel something.
Mm. We just we just dropped right in. There's a little mini, mini masterclass on storytelling right there. So let's go down the, the rabbit hole a little bit. And then I also want to build some context that kind of how you became the pitch whisperer. And so we'll kind of okay. we'll kind of go there. But but you let us right here. I think one of the brilliant things that you said prior to you sharing the the, the different components of a story is the first thing that you started is who is the person that we're engineering this story for? And then you kind of reverse engineered from that point. So I think that's a huge takeaway from anyone listening right now. It's like answer that fundamental question of like, well, who are you designing this for? Because if you don't have that kind of North star, as far as like creating the dialogue, creating the emotion, it's not going to land the way that you would want it to land. So something that I wanted to kind of zoom in on here is because I know in your book, you talk about questions that you always ask yourself as you work on your next presentation about knowing what you want your audience to feel. So like, I I guess other, I want to keep going here because like any other foundational questions that you're asking yourself or you're guiding your clients through to uncover that will then give you the material to kind of like reverse engineer and build the story from there. What are some of those questions that you're asking? Well, let me tell you another story and I'll I'll give you the question. (laughs) Um, Honeywell is a client and I was speaking to their sales teams and they make a fan in the operating rooms and they were talking about how fast the fan would spin and how many particles it would clear. And I, you know, start with, okay, what happens if the fan doesn't work properly? Again, what are the stakes? Hmm. Oh, well, uh, the patient could get infected. Okay. That's what I call the presenting problem. Like if you go to a therapist for relationship challenges, whatever you say, the reason is what brought you in today. Like, oh, we're having romantic problems. That's what's called the presenting problem. Mm. The therapist knows that it's not really the issue. There's some trust issues or betrayal or something that's causing the romance to be gone. So as a salespeople, we need to think of ourselves as doctors. We need to dig deep. And if you're the salesperson that asks the questions beyond just the initial solution or here's the problem if the fan doesn't work patients could get infected i mean that's a good problem to solve don't get me wrong but i just the here's what i ask people and it's a great takeaway for everyone listening today anything else just ask those two words and they thought about it for a minute they go well now that you ask yeah uh you know we're cutting on patients all day long and um, it creates a lot of smoke from the laser. And if the fan doesn't work, it could create secondhand smoke damage for the doctors and nurses in there every day, surgery after surgery. This is pre-pandemic even. Mm. I said, ah, that's the story to talk to HR about. This fan is a human resource issue to keep the staff safe. It's no longer talking to a purchasing department who sees you as a commodity. And that was an example of getting another problem and creating another story and telling that story to another person. Yeah. That's so cool. Cause I think the biggest part of storytelling is understanding which story to be telling. And, you know, if it's, yeah. it's kind of like solving a surface layer problem when there's an, like you just said, like a doctor, like if there's an underlying problem, that's going to kind of re- keep creating it. It doesn't matter how fancy of a storyteller you are. <laughs> if you didn't take the opportunity to go deeper, to treat it like an iceberg, that the symptom isn't actually what you're trying to solve or the story that you're trying to communicate may not be the underlying thing that you're trying to get at. That's super, super powerful. So I I love that. And if you're listening, you already know uh, how deep we've gone this quickly. But before we go any deeper on the the storytelling land, I want to 
back up and kind of figure out how the heck John became the pitch whisperer and kind of some of your background. And so uh, I, I, I think this entire interview, we're probably just going to be leveraging a whole bunch of stories, but I know one of the yeah. kind of foundational stories that sets the tone that was a part of your Ted talk that you kind of used to communicate lots of your ideas came mm-hmm. from the lifeguarding. So we'd yeah. love for you to share a little bit about the, the lifeguarding and what that has to do with um, you and your content today. <laughs> Well, my TEDx is called Be the Lifeguard of Your Own Life, because unlike in a hurricane, no one's going to come rescue you from the rooftop. And I think we all experienced that during the pandemic. No one's going to come figure out how to help you navigate that. So we're all going to get disrupted multiple times. In my situation, I was selling advertising for Condé Nast for a number of years, and then the mortgage crisis hit in 2008, and they laid off everybody outside of New York and 30% of the New York staff. And... One of the things I learned as a lifeguard was when somebody was drowning, you don't panic, you stay calm and your training kicks in. And that actually happened for me when I got the news that I was being laid off. Well, it felt like a kick to the gut. My lifeguard training kicked in enough for me to say, well, don't you need a status report if you need me out of here in 24 hours to know where these ads should be? And go, well, that'd be amazing. But everyone else is so angry. They're just storming out. I go, I'm not doing that. My clients, I've seen them get married, have kids. I care about them too much. So- um, it's funny to go back to that memory. Um, the decision to do that, little did I know that two years later, that would get me hired back. And I didn't come back with any fear because I already had the fear of being laid off or not making my numbers or the magazine going out of business. And I had this big insight that fear and creativity can't exist at the same time. Mm. And so I came up with this amazing idea to partner with Guest Jeans and W Magazine and celebrate their anniversary with our anniversary by having pictures up like Drew Barrymore been a guest cover, a guest model, and she also been on the cover of W. And so they ran a supplement that was thirty pages of a guest model every year inside the magazine's fortieth anniversary. And at a time when print sales were down, I generated five hundred thousand dollars worth of exclusive advertising, and they awarded me salesperson of the year for the entire company against 400 other salespeople around the world. And I had this epiphany that, wait a minute, I'm the same person that got laid off two years ago. Mm-hmm. I got to get off this self-esteem roller coaster. And be- that's my mission now is to help as many people as possible. Not only just feel good when things are going well and bad if they're not, but realizing that who we are is bigger than any one thing happening to us. Mm-hmm. Let's unpack that because I think like in your work, I see kind of like, an intertwining of two main things. You got like your storytelling component, but you also have like the mindset that comes associated with being a storyteller or leveraging story to sell your products and your ideas and making sure and and the associated feelings of maybe going through rejection or going through a roller coaster like that. So maybe expand on this a little bit. If somebody's resonating with that and they're like, okay, I have these days when yeah. I closed a sale or I got off stage or I'm I'm onboarding a new client and life is good. And then two yeah. weeks later, something else happens. So maybe, maybe give and expand on this a little bit, some ways that we can can work on that mental side of it, of getting off that self-esteem roller coaster. Well, I've created something I call the 555 method. So you think of yourself like a movie director and you zoom out and you ask yourself, will this matter in five minutes? How about five hours from now, five days from now? So take something simple like being cut off in traffic. I see some people lose their mind over this. (laughs) Take it personally and obsess about it for the rest of the day. 
I mean, if you're still thinking about somebody cutting you off in traffic five days from now, there's a problem. Um, but in terms of sales, we need to become more resilient and get back up faster after we've been rejected or got the no or get disappointed or even betrayed. And so I introduced this concept in my keynotes and workshops and have people work with their partners on what's one thing you want to let go of in the next five minutes you've been holding on to a grudge, a resentment, a rejection, a client who said something mean, whatever it is. Um, and then they start emailing each other after working with me and the culture becomes part of the culture. You know, we've got this big, no, we worked so hard on this proposal, but we're going to five, five, five it. We're only going to get complaining about it for five hours and then we're going to stop. We're never going to bring it up again because we need to be fresh for the new one. Um, and it actually works in your personal life. You know, when my dad died about 10 years ago, I wish I had this tool uh, because I could go back in time to my younger self and say, listen, you know, five days from now, yeah, you're still pretty devastated. How about five weeks, five months, five years, just five, five that again, right? So five years from now, yeah, you'll still miss him, but you won't be this sad. So powerful. Have you, have you ever, uh, read or come across how Elrod's content and heard about his five minute rule? I only know the five minute rule about food dropping on the floor. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, maybe, maybe this is like, maybe it becomes the five, 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 five method. We'll add an extra five, but I got this from <laughs> Hal Elrod because he talks about how if anybody listening that doesn't know Hal's backstory, like he was 20 years old and got in this freak car accident and like basically died for several minutes. And then he overcame that and later got cancer like this really aggressive cancer so like this guy has come through some crazy stuff but he has this thing he calls the five minute rule that i think he actually learned from his cutco days where it was like something like that if you got to know he his sales trainer um had encouraged him to set a timer for five minutes and you're allowed to just be mad cuss him out just pound a pillow punch a punch a bag you know scream at the top of your lungs but the minute that that five minutes timer goes off you're, you're, you're done. And, um, yeah. and so that's kind of Hal's rule of like letting you to feel that feeling, uh, because yeah. you know, sometimes that happens, but you got to end it because you can't change it. Like whatever happened, happened, you can't mm -hmm. change it. And I think like, um, it's, it's really important to not suppress our emotions that, that we're often yes. so trained to do. So if you have the five minute rule, you let yourself express it. And then you maybe expand on that and then realize that, you know, in five minutes, five more minutes, you know, five days or five months, it maybe doesn't even matter or five years, you know? Uh, so yep. that's incredible. Good. I also know that works for grieving mm. and, um, they have people say, you know, grief comes over you at weird times and let's face it. Grief isn't just the death of someone you love. It could also just be a loss, loss of a job, loss of a sale, whatever it is. Um, and so there's a theory that they say, you know, set a timer where you're going to let yourself have the feelings. And then when the timer goes off, you, you know, go, okay, let's wrap up the, the crying. But as opposed to trying to stuff it down all day long, you go, mm -hmm. I'm going to, I still want to function. So I'm going to know that that I can let that out in, in fight. And then you keep doing that as long as you need to. Yeah. I think the real, the Jedi master move beyond that is accepting things before they even happen. <laughs> you know, obviously this is like the fact yeah. that, that, that things are, I don't know uh, how, what it takes to kind of get to that level, but I think that's really the, the key well, is like you said, getting back up even quicker. <laughs> yeah. Your parents are both alive. Yes. Yeah. So you haven't experienced that yet. Mine are both gone mm -hmm. and that's the difference. Yeah. So I don't encourage people to get to the place where you don't feel anything. We yeah. don't grieve 
And that's part of the process. And it's just realize it's still accepting what is, whether it's, as I said, all the different kinds of losses. Um, so I think part of being a Jedi master or Zen master, whatever you want to call it, is accepting what is and still letting yourself feel mm. in that moment that this is part of the process. There's another concept that I came across in your book. I think it's related to the self-esteem roller coaster, so this may be out of place, but it's you you call the perfectionist versus progressionist. I don't know if this fits fits in here, but I yes. think that um gener okay, so would you would you mind sharing a little bit about what yeah. what that is? Cuz I think that's relevant to this topic. Well, so many of us, myself included, you know, grew up thinking I got to be the best student, the best employee, the best son, the best brother, the best everything just to be acceptable. I didn't, I wasn't coming from a place of who I am is enough. I have to overachieve to maybe just get to, am I okay? And it's exhausting. And the irony about being a perfectionist is no one can relate to you. And no, it's very hard for people to feel connected to you if you're never vulnerable. And your, your standards are so high for yourself and usually everyone else around you. Now, it doesn't mean you don't try your best and you don't try to fix typos in a book and all the other things, but it doesn't mean you you're not attaching your self-esteem, so this is where it connects, to everything being perfect. Hmm. And so I created a new concept where I go, you can't just tell people, don't be a perfectionist anymore. You have to give them something else to focus on. So I go, Let, who wants to join me and become a progressionist? So if you climb Mount Everest, you're halfway up, you can look down and go, wow, look how far, how much progress we've made. Or you can look up and go, oh, look how much further we have. Hmm. Now take that analogy to your a big project. You're launching a podcast, you're launching a masterclass, whatever it is, right? Oh, look how much work this book is, whatever. Or, But our brains are wired to celebrate progress. That's why Fitbit works. That's why video games celebrate a new level. So if I have teams that work with me start opening their meetings, celebrating progress instead of only celebrating the wins. And most people don't even celebrate the wins. They just go right to, here's the problem that we need to solve right now. But if you start opening your meetings with your team by celebrating progress, again, it doesn't have to be a major win. It could just be, we're three steps further. We now have, we finally have a so-and-so scheduled for a lunch meeting or a presentation or whatever. Um, that creates your brain looking for more things to celebrate. And I found too, that once you start sharing that kind of stuff, you kind of train your brain to recognize and view things in a new way. It may feel a little bit foreign. I had, I always love tying insights between my guests. I sometimes I feel like Nick Fury from the Avengers kind of tying the, all the storylines <laughs> together, but <laughs> I've also, I've had on uh, Dr. Benjamin Hardy uh, who wrote the book, the gap versus the gain with um, Dan Sullivan. But I think that that, that is, that's a powerful mindset shift is to constantly remember that no matter whenever you achieve your goal, there's going to be another horizon. You're going to set another goal. You're going to keep going. So if you're measuring yourself against this ideal, that's like chasing the horizon, you're never going to get it. And the only way is to exactly like you said, is to stop being a perfectionist and to, <laughs> to measure how far you've come at every step of the way. And so I, I personally, I have like a journaling process I use in my uh, nerdy spreadsheets in my reviewing, but like at the beginning, it's like, what were the wins the past day? What were the pins, the wins the past week? And it's just been amazing to kind of like do that because you train yourself to understand what's happening in real time. Uh, but it took me a while to kind of realize that that was the, what was happening as I built that out, which, so I love that so much. Well, even think about it with your physical fitness, right? If you think you need a six pack as a guy or a girl, I guess, 
mostly guys are obsessed with that, um, to feel attractive. And you don't have one, or maybe you only have four or three or whatever, right? Then you're walking around beating yourself up all day long. Mm. Oh, I had a piece of cake or a cookie or whatever, right? Like, ah, I didn't work out today. Ugh. On and on and on and on. It's like, ah, how about if we just accept who we are, where we are right now, and then make the decision to exercise or eat better, but not from a place of, I feel bad about myself, so therefore I'm going to do this behavior. Same thing when you're motivating people as a leader. Are you motivating from a place of fear? If you don't do this, you're going to get fired? Or are you motivating from a place of, I believe in you, let's work on how we can improve whatever it is, in punctuality, performance, storytelling. Uh, it's a very different way to go through life. It goes back to the Einstein quote. The biggest decision you ever make is, is the world a safe ending place or not? And then mm -hmm. you go around looking for evidence to support that belief. Yeah. So powerful. And I mean, I can just already paint the picture for our listeners hanging out with us today. It's just like the, the implications of understanding this with the storytelling components together. Cause that was one of the things that you and I connected with immediately is because one of my core values is conscious storytelling. And it's mm -hmm. like, I truly believe that storytelling is one of the greatest forces for good. Um, and, and one of the most powerful forces, but it's not only the stories you tell externally, it's the stories that you tell yourself. And so yeah. it's like understanding that your perfectionist versus progressionist story is driving lots of the narrative, which is driving lots of results and decisions that you're creating in your life. It's like the understanding that there's kind of like the internal manifest, the internal and the external way that you're creating stories. So super, super powerful. Um, if it's all right with you, let's go, let's, let's kind of keep do, I guess, playing this game of weaving the the mindset and the, the yeah. actual storytelling stuff as well, because I want to give people some plenty of actionable takeaways to actually start creating more effective mm -hmm. stories for their clients or, and, and that stuff as well. So you already kind of laid the foundation and talked about the four parts of the story. So as a recap for anyone listening, I have my notes here. So the expedition exposition, sorry, <laughs> uh, the problem, the solution and the resolution. And, um, I thought, uh, another way that we could kind of double down on this and give people some actionable things that they could talk about is you talk about an elevator story versus an mm. elevator pitch. And I love this. I would love for you to share what this concept is. Yes. Well, uh, let's kill the elevator pitch together right here and now. Let's <laughs> okay. Sounds good. We'll, we'll eliminate it as, as a function yeah. of this podcast. <laughs> it's boring. It's memorized. It's robotic. It's just horrible. Um, so I've turned it into an elevator story and there's Here's what mine is. You know how a lot of salespeople, especially those in healthcare and tech, struggle not to be seen as a commodity? And as if that's not bad enough, they get so burnt out coming in second place when they pitch against competitors. I'm known as the pitch whisperer. And I teach sales teams how to tell stories that tug at heartstrings. And after working with me, they become revenue rock stars and start winning pitches one after another. Hmm. So the whole goal of an elevator story is to intrigue people enough to say, that's interesting. Tell me more. So you see, I planted in there pitch whisperer. What's the, oh, I know what a dog whisperer. I even know what a horse whisperer is. What the heck's a pitch whisperer? It doesn't matter what they, add. revenue rockstar. That sounds interesting. So the steps are make it conversational. You know, we say, you know how this winter feels like it's never going to end that, you know, how is a conversational opening. So that's the first step. The second step is who you help as you want to be as specific as possible. You can't be all things to everybody. So I say salespeople in this particular, in these niches, right? And then the third step is the problem. What keeps them up at night? And using the word struggle is a great way to describe someone's problem. 
And then I stacked a second problem on top of being seen as a commodity is coming in second place, right? So those are two big problems I know my audience has. And then the fourth step is my solution. I'm the pitch whisperer. I teach storytelling as a way to win business. And then the fifth step on the elevator story again is the resolution. What's life like after people have worked with me? Hmm. So Do you know you, how, people, yeah, yeah. I was just going to recap just in case yeah, someone, someone's in case someone's got their handful of dishwasher soap or <laughs> they're on the treadmill like I was when I was listening to your other stuff. So do you know how and then who you help the problem and then specifically leveraging the the word struggle as a, as a, as a bonus point there, the solution that you provide and I guess bonus points as well if you have some kind of intriguing title like John does with the pitch whisperer and the the resolution at the end about what it's like to work with you afterwards. That's incredible. It's yeah. And it's not, do you know, it's, you know, how, so. No, do you know how? Okay. You, you know how um, it seems like every Super Bowl, blah, blah, whatever the, would be. So it's very conversational like that. Now, most people, you ask them what they do. They go, I'm a lawyer. I'm an architect. I'm a coach. I'm a, this a podcaster. None of that happens in the first three steps here. Mm-hmm. That's the big shift. Oh, you're describing who you help and what their problems are before you even talk about who, what you do to help them. And so you think, if, even if I don't need what you're offering, I now can remember it enough to refer you to people who need what you're offering because I know who your ideal audience is. Mm -hmm. I want to zoom in on one component here because I think this is super important is talking about the problem in a very concrete way that like, it's very specific that people can fully understand. And so I don't want to glaze over that. Cause I think that's probably one of the most important parts is yes. that, you know, people are raising their hands. Cause they're like, Oh, I, I either, I have that problem or I know somebody right. that has that problem. So how do you encourage or coach people to kind of get laser specific on that component of the elevator story? Well, within this concept is the first, the awareness that soft skills make you strong. There's a sound bite for you. Hmm. And soft skills are listening, empathy, and storytelling. When you combine those three things together, that's where the emotional connection comes. And so you listen to what your clients tell you their problems are. I've had many people say, we're so tired of playing defense and coming in second. Okay. Um, and that because so you use, and then when you describe someone's problem, the more you just, so you just understand their problem, the more people think you have their solution. Mm -hmm. So people go, oh, is this Brandon guy in my head? How does he know that's what I'm feeling? Or how does he know that's what keeps me up at night? Right. So that's part of the ability to pull people in. That's huge. And I think it, this has gotten so much easier especially today. Cause it's like, I spend most of my Tuesdays and Thursdays are my call days. And like, those are, I'm on zoom and I got it recording and I have otter.ai or some other transcription service sitting in there. And you can literally go back and review the transcripts of the words coming out of people's mouths. And like, I mm. like just as a copywriting brain that I have, it's like looking for those like emotionally charged words that they're using. Like those are the places to zoom in on and leverage those in this. So there's like a really actionable thing for you right now. It's like, if you are having zoom calls, one, make sure they're recorded, but two, like maybe just take note of some of the strong language that's being used because that's the goal that you can then use and pull into your elevator story that will make it that much more impactful. Well, I love alliterations. 
And also I like giving our brain something it hasn't heard before. So when I say soft skills make you strong, there's three S's mm -hmm. in that sentence. Mm. And your brain goes, wait, how can something soft make me strong? That makes no sense. I got to lean in here and pay attention. So breaking through the sort of inundation of information mm -hmm. that we get is, a way, is another way to stand out. I love that. I'm going to tie another insight that I got from a guest that I know is actually a good friend of yours, Dr. Mark Goulston. Uh, I saw oh, that yes. you were on, on on his show, but he had this one liner that was like, oh, that's so good. But he said something along the lines of, um, you want your concepts to be counterintuitive, but intuitively correct. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that is so good. And I think that's exactly what you're doing there, especially if you build on top of that with like the alliteration. That's mm -hmm. another intrigue factor of like, you just said what? And like, you have to continue that conversation. Super yep. powerful. Love well, that. So let's, I'll keep going. No, I was just going to give you another alliteration. I have a whole thing on how to go from invisible to irresistible. And it's mm. ladders. It's on a it's on a ladder, and there's different rungs on the ladder that all begin with the letter I. And um, in the middle of it is interesting. You know, you go from invisible to being interesting, and then eventually you're irresistible. Um, but this concept of just being interesting, this is where a lot of salespeople will get stuck, and myself included. Oh, you know what? I'm really interested in what you have to offer, Brandon. Send me mm -hmm. some information. You go, oh, I think I'm going to get a sale. And then it's crickets. You're stuck at a, a, the friend zone at work. <laughs> right again we all know what the friend zone dating is not you maybe because you're so charming and handsome I should, nobody ever put you there but the rest of us mortals know what that feels like and uh but so being stuck at the friend zone at work is when someone says they're interested and then they never buy so helping people get to where they intrigue people to want to keep the conversation going and then eventually get to be your biggest fans irresistible is where storytelling comes in mm, okay so let's i know we got just a maybe 20 ish more minutes left. So maybe let's bridge that gap. Then let's, let's maybe help people overcome that, that friends, friend work friend zone and, and leverage some kind of ninja skill sets on how you can avoid that. Let me get back to you with some ideas. Um, so I know there's a whole bunch of different ways that you, uh, that I have highlighted inside of your book, which by the way, uh, if anybody's listening to this and is absolutely loving the content, the book that I read, I know you got a bunch of them, but the book that I read is better selling through storytelling, the essential roadmap to becoming a revenue rock star. And I know you got another book out called the tale. The sale is in the tale. Uh, so I guess we'll, we'll do a little mini kind of insert here. If people are like dying, like I got to go check this out right now. What are some ways they can find out other stuff? And then we'll, we'll continue the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> well, the latest book, the sale is in the tale is a business fable set here in Austin where I live. So it's a little bit of a love letter. So the book is literally a story about storytelling. So you're learning about storytelling. <laughs> Inception. Story. Yes. And if you take out your phone and text the word pitch, I got to really emphasize the P, P-I-T-C-H uh, <laughs> to 66866, you get the first chapter for free. How many times have you gotten bitch texted to you? Is that, does that happen every once in a while from well, autocorrects or not, not as much? That, but they, you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's a whole nother book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Okay. Awesome. So everybody can touch the word, text the word pitch to six, six, eight, six, six, and you can uh, dive down if you're, if you're uh, have your hands free, but let's keep going on some of the more advanced strategies, how we can bridge that gap between people being interested to uh, irresistible. So I know you got a bunch of strategies that you talk about inside your book. Um, but I guess a few of them that stood out to me, one of them was future pacing. Um, would love for you to maybe share about that and, and how you've been able to integrate that into your work well let's start with a basic job interview and future pacing in that situation because i think almost everyone can relate to that even if you're an entrepreneur uh and you're because if you're an entrepreneur, either depending on what side of the desk you're on 
um, they're either you're interviewing or you're being interviewed. Um, and at the end of the interview, typically they'll say, well, we've asked you a bunch of questions about yourself. Do you have any questions for us? And unfortunately, people who haven't been trained or are new to the workforce sometimes will say, yeah, when's my vacation start and how many days do I get? <laughs> right? Instead, you future pace them with this question. Brandon, what would it look like if I were to exceed your expectations in this job? Hmm. Boom. I've had somebody hired on the spot asking that question. They already hmm. liked them. And they said, we can teach you the skills. What we can't teach is that attitude. And so your future pacing them going, oh, imagine me already in the job and not just doing what the job description is. Let's imagine together what it would look like to exceed that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's uh, that's brilliant. I, I I guess I didn't I so from because this comes from the NLP world, if I if I remember correctly, or maybe it's it comes from another world, but I, I've heard of future facing before from the perspective of like painting the picture for yeah. someone else of like what that future version of you working together is. Yeah. But what you just shared there is like the next level uh ninja version of that. Cause it's like it's 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 imbued in the question. It's assumed that you're going to go above and beyond and you're co-creating. You're not, you're not the one casting the vision. The function of the question is to co-create the future vision that you guys are creating together, which is brilliant. I love that. <laughs> it's showing, not telling, you know, it's mm -hmm. very different. They're like, um, I show that I go above and beyond by asking that question, as opposed to just saying in the interview, I'm someone who goes above and beyond. That's mm. very different than asking that question. Yeah, super powerful. Well, let, let's keep going with a few other strategies like this. Like if you if you you want more of them, another one that I loved again inside of I would kind of categorize this as a similar type of tweak that you can make or a, an adjustment that you can make inside of what you're talking about that is just going to 10x or amplify everything that you're already doing. Um, you had talked about creating benefit statements or translating things into what this means for you is. Yes. I thought yep. this was brilliant and something I'm like, I got to make sure I do this. So we'd love for you yeah. to share what that is. <laughs> well, it literally is, if you're going to describe a feature, like if when I'm working with um, a law firm or an architecture firm, and they're like, well, we're global. We have, you know, 80 offices around the world. Well, that's a nice feature, but it doesn't really make me feel anything. Everyone's favorite radio station is WIFFM. What's in it for me? <laughs> and so the bridge statement after that, this declaration of a feature or a fact, and what this means to you is, because you're a global client, we can service you no matter where you are in the world and have consistent discounts and communication and efficiencies. And you're like, Oh, suddenly I care that you're global because you've made it. You So it, you can never, if you go back and let's pretend you're selling cars, right? You say the, you know, the windows in this car are three and a half inches thick. Fantastic. What, that mean, what this means to you <laughs> is you check, crank you up that stereo. You're going to feel like you're in a concert. You mm -hmm. won't hear any outside noises. Oh, got it. So that's the features, the window thickness, the benefits, the sound. You Again, a feeling. You're future pacing them, driving down the freeway, blaring the music. and um, But that connecting, what that means to you is. So I, it's a test that I put almost every statement through. If we're not connecting the dots for the clients with that statement, what else could we say that makes them care about what we're saying? And mm. if there is no what this means to you, then we cut it out because it's not going to move the needle. 
Say that one more time. Cause I think that that is huge. Like a little, like a heuristic or a check that you can be making. If you're kind of creating a pitch deck or if you have slides, so like a, a question that you can ask to kind of cut things out or add things in, yeah. can you just add that again? Cause I thought that was so good. Sure. <laughs> if you can't come up with a reason or a statement to follow what this means to you is, then there's no reason to have that in your presentation because it's not going to move the needle to get anybody to buy or hire you or invest or whatever you're trying to do. And that ties perfectly back into the first story that we talked about. And I guess the first chunk of this conversation, we were talking about like 30% faster. What the hell does that mean? Well, it means that you save an hour for your surgery, which goes back to the other part of the conversation of like doing the work to do that translation for people is to understand yeah. what that is and ask the underlying questions that was you earlier on using your trans your Google translate hat. Like, what does this mean for you? <laughs> uh, I think that's, that's brilliant. I think I would, I would assume this is related. Another one that you had talked about kind of in this vein is transitioning me to we, or, uh, or placing me with you, something along those lines. I think, uh, instead of saying we, 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 what, what is it that we can do as another filter to replace it and make it more about other people? It's all about having collaborative conversations. Again, another alliteration. Hmm. That's what you want to do. And let's use a real life example. After your presentation, there's typically a Q&A, right? And you have to become a master at making those Q&As collaborative and not defensive. So if you resent questions, how dare they question us? How dare they, whatever, right? You're defensive. That's not a collaborative conversation. So there's where the listening really comes in. So I teach people when you get asked a question, let's see, uh, make up a question that somebody would ask after a sales pitch in your world. What do people ask you when they're thinking of hiring you or buying something from you? Um, do you have a specific example of somebody that has done this in my industry? Got it. Okay. So the first part of active listening is to rephrase what you heard because you don't want to be seen as a politician because politicians are notorious for not answering the question. And sometimes you don't hear the question properly and that's why you're not answering it. And people, but people will think, oh, he's trying to avoid the question. Mm -hmm. so you reframe it. Say, wow, it sounds like having people that I've worked with in your industry is a crucial decision for you. Is that correct? Yes. Correct. Then, then you answer the thing. And then after you answer the question with, you know, let me give you an example. I've got to ask that question. I think everybody gets it. So I was being interviewed by an executive search firm. And they said, have you ever spoken to another executive search firm that, you know, because we're in sales, we have to convince big clients to pick us versus another executive search firm to find their C-level suite. Um, and I said, while I haven't done that, I have spoken to an architecture firm who is very much structured in the same business model that you are. There's practice areas. You guys have people who specialize in finding certain industries and they specialize in either building an airport or a law firm. And I can tell you that here's a story I can share of how they I helped them win a billion dollar airport renovation against competitors. And, you know, he goes, oh, wow, now, I, now you've answered the question and he goes you know we always kind of hope we can go last when we pitch against competitors i go but that's hope's not a strategy you can't control that what you can control is telling a story and here's the story that they told and they happened to go first and they still won so that's how i handled that 
But then, then you go back after you answer the question, you say, did that answer your question? You're going to get one of three responses. And this is what very few people do after they active listening. We know about, okay, try to reframe it, make sure I heard the question properly. But then you go back and show, A, it makes people feel great that you care enough to even make sure. Uh, but they're either going to say, yes, it did. No, it didn't. I'm still confused. Or, or yes, it did. But now I have another question. Okay, great. Because remember the goal? Collaborative conversations. So something that you just kind of planted in there that I think is super, super important is like you basically have using my own words, like a story bank, like essentially to overcome objections, you've kind of created this like list of stories that can help answer questions or, you know, case stories. I think that's your language instead of case yes. studies, you know? So, so um, is that something that you would encourage people to do is like, as oh they're gosh, continuously yes. building these, just kind of have them as a ready, oh, I have that practice. I'm ready to leverage that right away. I tell people, think of your brain like a playlist or a jukebox, depending on your age. <laughs> instead of different songs coming out different stories come out you, so if you just write down here are my top three avatars my ideal clients let's go back to selling real estate for example you know you've got the young couple first home buyers then you've got the retired people scaling down and selling the house then you've got whatever right there's like five different kinds of people that decide to go buy a house um i need to have stories for each one of those scenarios so that they see themselves in it i can't tell the same story to the same people that don't it's not relative to um i worked with one client where we actually created a repository of all the case stories and the story of origins of each of the uh, employees living in one place so that does a lot of things that allows you to tell somebody else's story even if you don't have the story one of my colleagues blah 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 blah, blah and then you tell that story that that person can see themselves in it also breaks down silos which is a huge problem in corporate america whether it's a law firm architect you know, they have all those little divisions and they don't even know how to make introductions to grow a business. They have, let's say one hospital using one of their three products. It's because they just don't even know how to make the introduction. But now they go, oh, let me share a story of another, but because it's on the repository map where you can click and read it. And then the story of origin, which is like, what made you get into healthcare or architecture, whatever it is? Oh, my mom was in healthcare or I just didn't want to spend my life behind a microscope or I played with Legos. That's what made me become an architect. Um, those story of origins are great when you're trying to create rapport with someone, makes you memorable. Um, but also it's an onboarding tool now for their new hires. Get to know your colleagues and makes people feel seen and heard and appreciated. And if you're a leader, that's the number one thing you want. You want your team to feel seen and heard and appreciated. You want your clients to feel seen and heard and appreciated. The best way to do that is to get people's story of origin you can work with people for years and never know that. And they, boy, if you ask them that and then you put it on a map with their actual case stories, that's a game changer. I love that. It, it also kind of reminds me of like Robert Cialdini's work, like persuasion. Uh, it's like, it, it's like if you're going to introduce someone, the opportunity to share that context ahead of time is just super, super powerful because it's not just like a pass off. Like they have an understanding as to why they should be listening to this person. And it just makes that, that, that fact that it's wrapped in a story with their background, it just makes it that much more powerful. That's, that's, that's brilliant. Have you ever been to a dinner party or a party at someone's home and the host or the hostess is doing a really great job of connecting people who don't know each other, but they know the host knows everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, where do you talk to Brandon? And then I can describe three things about you. 
your passion, your enthusiasm, your creativity, something about your own, how you got into this, your dreams of your future. You have so much in common with my friend Sue. And then you go, oh, you went to the school or you went there or you're in the same industry as well, or you have a podcast too, or whatever it is. That's the ed the edification, the persuasion that makes for not only great business when you're presenting, but also just a great host or yeah. hostess. Yeah, that's brilliant. John, our time has been flying. So this has been so much fun. I have one kind of final question on this kind of world of uh, questions. And then we'll kind of wrap things up with the questions that I love to ask all my guests when I have an opportunity okay. to ask. But this is a, something that you had as a suggestion as far as I think it was in the overcoming objection section. But uh, something that people have uh, lovingly made fun of me for is how fast I talk. Like whenever I get a chance to talk to listeners of the show or I, somebody listens to me to give a presentation, they're like, you talk so damn fast. And like, I even tell people ahead of time, it's like, I literally can't pro like my brain processes so fast. If I don't speak fast, I lose my train of thought. <laughs> so I've tried, but I, I want, so this is partly a selfish question, but also if I think lots of people, especially if yeah. they're nervous, they're talking really fast. And I had one other person that was a, a, a media trainer on my show, Susan Harrow. And she had suggested that for me, it's like, don't try to change how fast you talk, but choose when you want to pause, like yes. choose those points where it's really important. So I, I, do any suggestions for people that might sure. either suffer from this or, <laughs> or, or want to be able to talk slower? Well, confident people are comfortable with silence. Have that as your mantra. Because if you're a confident person, you know people are going to listen. When we're younger, when we're nervous, when we get overly excited, we feel like we have to fill every second in order to keep people's attention. And so when I was on TV being interviewed and Larry King said, what makes a good pitch? I said, oh, it's clear, concise, and compelling. And then I watched it back with my media coach and he went, I know you're on live TV and you're afraid of dead airtime, but you said that so fast, nobody can retain it. So the secret is you say the word silently to yourself, whatever the three things are you want to land. So a good pitch is clear, clear, concise, concise, and compelling. So it sounds like this. A good pitch is clear, concise, and compelling. So there's just the perfect amount of pause between those three words by saying this word I just said to myself silently. It takes all the guesswork out of it. It's brilliant. I, I, I will take note of that because it, it, it is, it is so, it's so important. It's like, I had somebody tell me, uh, another guest on my show, Neil, Neil Moore, a friend of mine, but he was like, you know, I, I, I think I was sharing with him. It's like, I believe my life's purpose is to create a more deeply connected world. And when I told that to him, he's like, you said that so damn fast. He's like, this is like a gift to be giving to people. Like you can't just say, I'm going to create a more deeply connected world. Like that doesn't mean anything for anyone. Like if, but if you take the time to be intentional about it. So I think that's, that's another huge takeaway for me is just like being very intentional, especially on those punchlines that like, that you have crafted uh, you literally a pause just said in there. My intention is to create a deeply, deeply connected, connected world. Now say it with, now let me hear you say it with those pauses. Sure. My intention is to create a more deeply connected world. Boom. You nailed it. I feel it, it so much more too. And it automatically makes you change the intonation of each word. Did you notice? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not even having to consciously think about it because you're feeling what you're saying. Mm. Love that. 
So cool. Well, there's been so many actionable takeaways for everyone here. I always love to wrap up on a, a final question that I get a chance to ask all my guests, and we can find out more about where people can check out you and your world. And I know we've already kind of talked about a little bit of it, but John, the one question I love to ask all my guests is what does happiness mean to you today? What is your definition of what happiness means for uh, you? Being with people I want to be with, doing what I want to be doing in the exact moment with them. So it's being completely present. I couldn't be happier. Let's say I'm having brunch with really great friends. There's nowhere else I want to be. I'm with the people I want to be doing what I want to be doing. That's my definition of happiness. Beautiful. Don't want to add anything to that. Besides, uh, we already talked about being able to text uh, a number. I have it listed up on my notes here. Text the word pitch to 66866 if you want to get the first chapter of the sale is in the tail. But besides that, where can people find out all the incredible stuff that you're up to, John? My website is my name, John Livesey, L-I-V is in Victor, E-S-A-Y.com. If you can't remember that or book titles, just Google the pitch whisper and all my content shows up there. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm just going to really quickly have a conversation with you listening today. And I just want to say that you could be listening to any other podcast. You could be watching any other YouTube video. You could be watching some TV show on Netflix. You could be doing some listening to some music while you're running, but you chose to listen to this episode with John and myself. And for that, I am so grateful that you're hanging out with us to the very, very end. And there's been so much gold here. And that is why I have a favor to ask you. And that favor is if you've listened to something that has inspired you or has given you a way that you want to change things moving forward or a different way that you want to tell a story. My ask is that you take a second and share this with someone because it can absolutely, absolutely transform someone's life. My life has been transformed by podcasts. I know John's has as well, because he's got his own show. Um, and it's just, you don't know uh, what one of these stories could do to actually impact someone. So that's my ask for you is uh, you, you share this with someone, but whether or not you choose to do that, I appreciate you so much for listening. And John, any final things you want to say before we head off today? My favorite quote is from Arthur Ashe, the famous tennis pro who said the key to success is confidence and the key to confidence is preparation. So start Beautiful. thinking of yourself like an athlete or a Broadway performer and nobody wings it. Awesome. Love it. Thank you so much, John. We'll end right there. I appreciate you so much. And we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thank you.